Hi everyone, welcome to the B Plus Plus podcast, a podcast where we speak to leaders from around the world, leaders who can actually impact your lives, your businesses with all the solutions that they are building or they are recommending. You know, and today I'm very happy to welcome somebody all the way from Toronto, Canada, uh, who is helping so many organizations, large and now increasingly small and startups. Sam Gupta, who's a principal consultant of Elevate IQ, and he's the host of WBS Rocks podcast. A lot to talk about. Thank you so much for being here, Sam. Glad to be here, Abhi. Thank you so much. And I'm super excited to talk to your fun listeners. Yeah, I'm sure they are looking forward to a lot of uh, stories that you mentioned that you have to share. And and the first thing that I wanted to check with you was, you know, you've spent two decades working with Fortune 500 companies and, you know, you've helped them a lot. Uh, and then you decided that you want to help uh, startups and you want to sort of uh, help SMEs as well. So what prompted that shift and how's the experience been so far? Well, so... It was a crazy story, okay? So initially, I was always sort of entrepreneurial because I grew up uh, in a very business-centric family, okay? Mm -hmm. So by the time I went to university, I just knew too much. My family background is really into the manufacturing and distribution. And they have a saying there, let's say if you are a five-year-old, you are not supposed to be on the shop floor, okay? So if you cannot be on the shop floor as Mm -hmm. a five-year-old, one thing you can do is you can count money, okay? Because <laughs> <laughs> the family I grew up in, we had piles of cash, okay? Yeah. <laughs> we used to get tons and tons of cash. So somebody has to count that. So I started, that was my first job, okay? Right. And then the second job was really, you know, since you cannot be on, on the shop floor, you can do you can do accounting, right? So mm-hmm. I started doing a lot more books. So by the time I went to my university, uh, I had too much experience in doing manufacturing, production, uh, you know, from the business perspective. And then I started spending a, a lot of time in the enterprise consulting space, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, roughly 10 years because I was doing a startup right after uh, my undergrad. Uh, but I just could not make enough money, to be honest. Okay. I wasn't <laughs> happy about it. <laughs> So I thought maybe, you know, I should get, uh, you know, some more context and experience in the enterprise space. And after that, uh, I will see what I can do. So, yeah. So uh, roughly 10, 12 years, I was in the enterprise space. uh, And uh, with me, one of the problem is I always need to see the far end. And if I'm not able to see that, then it's just harder for me to be to be sort of driven, right? So I need to know how this is, whatever I'm doing, how this is impacting the organization. And since I was in the enterprise space, sometimes, you know, if I am spending a lot of effort in building something, sometimes that will not go live because the business priorities change or something else changes. And because of that, I will not feel as recognized. So I wanted to do something of my own. And that's why I started doing this journey uh, of SMB and startups. Uh, But... Uh, you know, when I, I really started doing this, I mean, I was doing more of part time, but then my wife actually pushed me over the ash, to be honest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because she was super confident in terms of, uh, you know, how I should be doing these startups. Right. Mm-hmm. And then one day she said that, you know what? I know everything. I know how to build the company because she has some experience, uh, you know, with working with one of the, the CEOs. But honestly speaking, she did not know anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she had $8,000 in her bank account, okay? And she said that, you know what? I know how to create the company. You can start You can start this in $8,000. And I was like, are you serious? Okay, have you really done this? 
And she's like, yeah, I've done it. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> we started doing this. It was a crazy ride. It has been a crazy ride. Obviously, $8,000 is not enough. I would not <laughs> recommend any anybody doing that. But in my case, I am more of the execution guy. But once I get into anything, I will execute it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's who I am. So wow. that's how, uh, you know, shifted the transition. I don't know if this answers your question or not. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds exciting. I mean, uh, the crazy optimism that comes with entrepreneurism, you know, like in the sense you have to uh, believe in yourself, even with $8,000. That's amazing. And the visual that I can't get out of my head is piles and piles of cash. <laughs> you know, talk, of, <laughs> talk of the abundance mindset, you know. So, I mean, that that's so exciting in the sense that you, I, I understand what you mean. You know, I've had that experience in my life where, you know, when you work with a lot of very large organizations in a consulting role or let's say, you know, working with them is you can't really always have that impact because there are so many forces at play, priorities change. You know, we've had so many like multi-million dollar uh, projects being mothballed because suddenly, oh, no, we don't need that anymore. And what about those 50 people who've been working on it for the last five years? And so uh, I understand uh, when you say that you wanted to have that impact and you wanted to work with SMEs and you wanted to work with startups. So, you know, let's let's talk about, you know, some of the biggest challenges that you see, right? So, I mean, on the one hand, let's say it's, it's very difficult uh, to have that impact in a large company because obviously, you know, too many uh, decision makers, too many forces at play. But SMEs and startups have their own challenges, right? In the sense that they, um, number one being money, right? <laughs> so in the sense, yeah. so what are some of the, you know, challenges that you face uh, working with SMEs and startups in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, enterprise architecture and let's say you're working with them, you're consulting for them and you're saying, why don't we go ahead and do this? So what are some of the, you know, biggest challenges that you see uh, and experience all the time? And what are some of the ways that you overcome them? Because the reason I'm asking this is a lot of startup founders, obviously being our listeners, you know, they are struggling with a lot of these things. So they want to sort of implement a lot of tools. They want to implement a lot of systems, but they either don't have the money or in a lot of cases that we see, they do not have somebody to manage those systems or take ownership of those systems. So, so how, how do we go about so typically my recommendation and, uh, you know, I'm going to touch this from two different perspectives. One is going sure. to be, you know, sales and marketing and operations, right? And the second is going to be really from the tool and enterprise architecture. Right. So when I started doing SMB, I had no idea what I was getting into, to be honest. Okay. It's, mm. it's, it, it's been a right. Mm. Uh, number one, you know, I was always involved in the sales and pre-sales in the, cons- in the consulting space. Right. But the kind of sales we do in the enterprise space is, is very different. Mm-hmm. Then we, the, the way SMB space works, uh, you oh. know, customers are going to be, uh, extremely price sensitive. Uh, you know, they are not going to have the kind of appetite that enterprise customers are going to have. Right. Their needs are different. Everything is so different. Right. So in my case, uh, let's talk about some of the challenges, right? So I was just like a teenager, you know, I, I wanted to run after every shiny objects mm-hmm. out there. So when I started, I mean, see, I actually went after, Every, uh, you know, buzzwords or the technology, if you name it, right? So I, we did a lot of work in the medical device space. We did a lot of work, um, in the co-working space. You talk, uh, you know, fintech, martech. Oh my goodness. I mean, see, whatever cool 
buzzwords that we could find out. I mean, see, we actually wanted to work on that idea. Right. And by the way, <laughs> none of them were successful, to be honest, okay? Because I was not really focusing on my core. That mm. was the biggest biggest challenge, right? Because I just don't didn't know what I should be focusing on. I right. had no idea if I should be able to create a startup, you know, in the ERP world or maybe the, in, the, in the consulting world. It was just hard. So that is the convection that I actually got through my mm-hmm. journey. And in fact, let me see, I always talk about this in a lot of different podcast episodes that I work for free for guys who were 24 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> for roughly a year or two, you know, just to mm-hmm. learn how to sell in the SMB space. Right. So again, acquiring these skills based on the market, based on the product that you were working with, based on the, the, the customers you are dealing with, these skills are extremely, extremely important. Now, coming back to your question about the enterprise architecture and tools, typically my recommendation always is depending upon your business, depending upon your company, what you are doing, first focus on the market need. First focus on if you can bring some sort of revenue. Okay, then work on the idea. I will tell you one story. So there was, uh, you know, uh, I was talking to one of my friends and she has amazing experience in supply chain. She and her brother is working on one of these startup ideas and she's brilliant. Her brother is amazing coder, amazing programmer. Okay, so they started working on the idea that is around ERP. They are trying to sort of, uh, you know, build slightly user-friendly plugin on top of ERP. It's going to be ERP agnostic, but... In their case, they did not do any sort of market research, okay? They did not have a problem to solve, but they started working on this tool. This is working great, and now they are coming to me. Okay, tell me how to sell this. And I'm like, okay, did you sell it to anybody so far? And they are like, no, I mean, that's why I'm coming to you. I'm like, did you do any research? And they had spoken to a bunch of folks. I'm like, okay, tell me one salesperson you have spoken to. And they, that salesperson needs to have uh, experience in the ERP space. If you don't have in the ERP space, then I'm not going to count that as your market research because salespeople are going to give you the real advice, right? Because they are the ones who are running in the field. They are the ones who actually know what is happening in the field, what customers care for. So in this particular case, they invested a lot of time. They invested a lot of money in doing the tool, in doing the the the, the technology as well. But I don't know where it is going to go. So my recommendation always is figure out how to start from your sales and marketing, how to start from your customer, how to start from your problem, then figure out, you know, how to, how to do the tool or technology. That's a secondary part in my mind. Right. I mean, yeah, a lot of uh, valuable insights there. I mean, firstly, that you mentioned how difficult it is to sell anything in the SME space and obviously for, you know, very obvious uh, reasons. And yeah, the other thing that you mentioned was, you know, uh, and I'm glad you did is because a lot of founders are chasing the buzzwords. And I guess everyone has a bit of a journey that they have to follow. And, you know, it's you learn lessons along the way, of course, very valuable lessons along the way. And and how it's very important to, you know, uh, stick to your sort of expertise, you know, something that you pointed out as well. So yeah, a lot of very interesting things that you mentioned there. So I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, about the, you know, the massive difference between selling in the enterprise space and the SMB space. So, uh, you know, before we jump into the tools, and you know, I'm glad you mentioned the fact that, you know, focus on your marketing teams and sales teams and ask them what it is that they need before you sort of worry about the tools. But what is 
you know, let's say, what are some of the two or three things that you've learned, you know, in terms of selling? Because, you know, I won't name it, but one of the world's largest uh, CRM companies, we work with them very closely and they are struggling here in Southeast Asia because they just, I mean, it's easy to project, you know, how they will sell in the SME space, but they're just not able to sell. So what are some of the key insights that you can share? Uh, I'm sure a lot of people running you know, global software companies here in Asia and other parts of the world would love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, so in the SMB market, I mean, as you know, they are not going to have really the, the IT background or IT skills or, or the technical skills. In the enterprise space, you are typically dealing with a CIO because they have the either the center of excellence or the IT or technical expertise in-house. So that's why selling to your your enterprise is very different. In case of SMB market, number one, they are going to have significant challenges with respect to budget. Number two, they don't really have skills. They don't really understand how software works, to be honest, okay? So selling to them is completely different. You have to have some sort of package. If you are going to tell them, hey, you know what? What I'm going to do, I've got this tool. I have no idea how to solve your problem. I'm actually going to come to your premise or facility or factory or whatever they have, right? And then I'm actually going to talk to your people. I'm going to do your requirements. And after that, I'm going to customize the software a little bit. It could be just the configuration, but still, (laughs) still, they are not going to be ready for that. They will not be willing to take any ownership. They are super tight on time because obviously they have to focus on their own sales. So timing is going to be a problem. Focus is going to be a problem. Budget is going to be a problem. Understanding is going to be a problem. Skills is going to be a problem. Too many problems in the SMB market. So the best way to sell in the SMB market is make it easy. Make it as if you are selling a product, okay? As if they are buying an Apple iPhone. They don't have to think. Reduce the number of variables. Reduce the number of decisions that they have to make in making that purchase. Obviously, it's not easy in case of software. It's never easy, right? But the, the more the, 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 the more friction you are going to remove from your sales cycle. Now, coming back to your point about the CRM company, not able to penetrate in the emerging market, right? Now, emerging market is very different from your your. Uh, developed countries just because the appetite is is different right the 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 kind of things that they understand is going to be very different as well so one of the things that companies really need to think about penetrating in the smb market is how can i put the industry flavor on the technology and that is what everybody is doing in the market at this point of time Okay, mm-hmm. in the SMB market, you talk about bigger players, uh, your SAPs of the world, Oracles of the world, Salesforce of the world, Enforce of the world. Everybody's trying to put the industry flavor because the more flavor you have of the industry, obviously, number one, you will be able to connect with your customers. Okay, because you are going to speak their language, the language that they understand. And then it's going to be easier for them to be able to digest because they don't get technology. They right. don't get software, irrespective of how cool it is. They will hang up on you <laughs> if you don't speak their language. Sure, I mean that. That's that's a great thing that you mentioned, right? So make it easy, right? So for instance, uh, I was speaking to an SME owner yesterday, and uh, they had reached out to me for some help last year, and they wanted a complete revamp of their existence, right? Like so, they have uh, a large uh, FNB operation across countries but still a smaller company. And they wanted a lot of help with, you know, how do we automate this? How do we automate that and everything? We made some recommendations. Finally, what they ended up doing 
is, uh, you know, picking the cheapest solution in every little niche and finally not getting anywhere a year later and a year's worth of failures later, they reached out uh, to us again and said, oh, now can you help us? (laughs) Now we've realized and everything. So, but again, you know, one of the points that I made to them yesterday was very similar to what you just said. I, I just realized at some point that if we want to be like you mentioned, you can, you have to understand technology for them. You have to understand problems for them. You have to do a lot of those things for them. The only thing you're probably not doing is paying for them, right? So otherwise, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure they would love that too as well, right? So, uh, is so you know, like you said, right? I mean, we run companies and we know how difficult it is, right? If somebody comes to us and says, "Oh, there's a great uh, software, and go ahead with this," and this is a $6 million implementation or something, you know, we probably are not ready for that, those kind of uh, things as well. So I think, yeah, like you rightly mentioned, uh, you know, and, and for all our listeners who are selling to SMEs and selling in emerging markets, I think that's a very valuable lesson. One, make it easy. And secondly, what you mentioned, uh, be less of a consultant and productize more, right? So it, it just as much as you can productize. And then finally, the point that you made about uh, in industry flavor. So in the sense, make it more relatable. So because they may not have the, you know, ability to visualize, you know, what, uh, you know, how it would be customized to their particular industry or something. So the more you can sort of localize and customize and sort of, like you mentioned, uh, give it that industrial, uh, it, that specific industry specific flavor, the better uh, it'll be. Wow. That's, that's exciting. I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the things that we can, uh, learn from this and maybe implement in our businesses as well. Because not only SMBs, I'm telling you, sometimes when we work with large corporations as well, uh, we just feel like we are doing everything you know, for them other than maybe sending an email once in a while. But uh, so, yeah. It, it, so it's, just one more point I would like to sure. highlight here that I, I missed and that is going to be latching on to the existing success. Okay, sure. that could be another thing that, uh, you know, your listeners may want to think about penetrating the SMB market. And right. that sometimes people miss, uh, you know, because let's say uh, if you're going after a market that Salesforce is already present, right? right? So you can actually penetrate that market if you try to integrate your product with, let's say, Salesforce, or right. it could be with SAP or whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. If you pre-integrate, mm. if your solution is going to be pre-integrated with the existing software that is already present in the account or at a client place, then Mm. you are reducing the friction. Because one of the questions that you mentioned in your uh, comment that, you know, your client had multiple different software. And one of the pain points that you are always going to get when you are dealing with technologies is, especially if you are going to be part of the main operations, right? But whether your tool or technology integrates with the existing software or not. Okay. So if you can already integrate that, that becomes a product. Then you are reducing the friction. So latch onto existing success. I I think that's a that's a wonderful point. And you know, so off late we've been speaking to a lot of uh, startup founders, and they are building their you know products to sort of ride on these mega sort of successful software. So whether it's you know Salesforce, whether it's HubSpot, whether it's uh, you know. Uh, whether it's Microsoft Teams. Now, that's an ecosystem that's coming alive as well. And actually, it took me many years to sort of learn that lesson, I must say, because I was trying to recreate the, reinvent the wheel all the time and trying to go at it uh, alone. And we were building products. And then we just realized how much easier it is to sort of, you know, like you mentioned, ride uh, the success of any other product. So you yeah. you become a part of that ecosystem, which brings me to the next question, though. 
and you know we speak with a lot of these uh you know so you have the the azure uh, marketplace and you have the uh microsoft teams marketplace and you have hubspot marketplace and all these sort of you know marketplaces so i mean i know it makes sense in the sense that you know it's easier for people to sort of find you you know so you don't have to spend gazillions uh, trying to uh, yeah educate the customer about how your product is useful but what are some of the challenges that you see publishing let's say your application or your solution in some of these uh, marketplaces because uh, you know and and also you know the other experience that we've had working with some of these uh, marketplaces is that in a lot of ways it becomes more about you 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 run a risk of sort of becoming a value added service to the overall offering and not really a you know a very dependable standalone product so what's your what's your sort of take on that because uh, i i find it very interesting i know it makes sense but something about it feels like you know firstly it's not i'm sure it's not as easy as it sounds and secondly i'm sure there are some uh, drawbacks of following this approach as well what, what are your thoughts on that so basically here are the things right so depending upon what kind of idea you have mm-hmm. let's say if you are going after the enterprise market okay right. my assumption here is going to be you are yes. going after the enterprise market either you know some sort of crm um, erp or hcm system right those are the major right. ones right. um so let's say if you are going uh, after the existing market i mean if you have a simple idea you are going to have a limit in terms of how much you can grow in that market okay right. or these enterprise guys are going to come after you and they'll they'll kick you out from the market that's how it works right so in your case you would have developed this either you have a very industry specific solution that you somehow can compete with the big guys right because you have very specific industry expertise that other big guys cannot provide just because they are attacking much larger market that right. could be one way of looking at it or you are solving a very specific problem maybe you are simplifying the user experience and and that could be one thing or maybe you are simply going in, into the functional problem i mean these are the the kind of ideas that we see majorly in the in the startup space right so you are definitely going to run into challenge let's say even if you get to 10 million dollar 20 million dollar 30 million dollar 40 million dollar i don't know what your goal really is if your goal is to really get to this point and then sell to somebody so you have to always look at okay who's going to buy my company somebody has to buy so if you create this around a startup eco sorry if, around the ecosystem right for example crm or scm then you are sort of creating creating a, a a sort of ecosystem that you are already aligning with that specific ecosystem they might be able to invest in your technology they might be able to provide the resources that you need to be able to be successful so that they can actually acquire and this happens all the time yeah. uh, let's take an example of um, you know systems like netsuite netsuite right. was you know funded by larry allison <laughs> always i mean everybody was talking how behind oracle is in terms of the the cloud journey but then you know this guy was uh, playing in the back right <laughs> yeah so yeah so this is how the the startup ecosystem works right now if you look at salesforce i mean they have invested in i don't know how many startups okay they are always looking at okay which are the startups that are going to be successful so they these startups or the ideas they have to create some sort of market or revenue channel for them and that's why they are interested in that now coming back to your point about running the risk 
of let's say if you're creating an add-on and tomorrow let's say what they might do is they might create their own functionality and they might kick you out from the market i think that's a risk that you are referring to which is always going to be there it, this risk is going to be there in every single um, you know startup idea that you have because somebody is going to run you over i mean that's how startups are <laughs> right yeah so, absolutely yeah So in this particular in my opinion I think you know if you align yourself with the bigger guys then you have much higher chances of being successful you are reducing reducing your risk because you are going after a validated market as opposed to creating a new market creating a new market is always going to be far more difficult than aligning yourself in the existing market where the need already exists the problem already exists right i mean i think that's a million dollar point uh, that you made and i think all of the listeners should take note of that and you know it's just it's it's you know sometimes it takes years and years of trying something and then figuring it out you know for yourself but i think that's one of that's been one of my biggest learnings as well in terms of aligning yourself so it does not necessarily mean that you have to have to but uh yeah. it definitely increases your chances of success and and of course you know the other thing that you spoke about which you know a lot of founders dream of is the exit so for instance if you're in that ecosystem and you make it easy or easier for a larger corporation to sort of continue to innovate or something then you are a very very sweet acquisition target for them rather than you trying to create a new market for yourself so that that that's that's a very very fascinating point and i think a lot of people would definitely benefit from that so i mean coming back to what i was talking about the crms right so one of the things yeah. that i i have uh, throughout my career trying uh, tried to figure out is why do crms not work right so and i'm it's not just my uh, you know uh, observation i've spoken to a lot of you know uh, fortune 500 ceos i've spoken to a lot of corporations i know companies who are investing 25 30 40 million dollars annually for their crm subscriptions per you know every account and everything but they it just seems like that mirage you know that it would work so well and and it doesn't quite work so I mean I wanted to hear your thoughts you since you're the specialist what do you think do you think that the solutions are not customized to each of those organizations do you think there's some uh, challenge in terms of adoption do you think that the systems are great but maybe uh, there is a lack of training uh, within the teams in terms of you know the, the teams have not been trained so it's not become a part of you know their lives i mean we've experienced a bit of all of these but i don't quite know i can't really uh put my finger on what exactly is the reason that is a massive industry everyone needs a crm but i have never spoken to a company who says oh we use the crm and we are wonderfully happy and couldn't be happier so what are your thoughts on this well so depending upon how it is perceived by the way me see you are referring to only crm right i mean see yes. i think it goes to to any software out there to be honest right. because software typically when you are talking about the the business process software mm. right they are designed around the processes and processes are sort of the habits if you really think about it right. okay everybody everybody works differently and you are actually trying to map those habits or the behaviors in a system right now you can't please everybody in a, in in an organization so how would you please everybody with a software there's no way okay 
So this is the technology piece. And typically, yes, there are going to be challenges. Let's say if the CRM wasn't fit to begin with to meet the needs of the organization. The reason, let's say, if they had selected the CRM just because it was number one or the best CRM out there. Look, you know, in case of software, it's always going to be very specific with the needs of a company. Okay, you should be looking at, okay, what, which is my industry that I am operating in? What are the needs of my users? What are the unique things that are needed for my company, my organization, my industry, and find the solution that is going to be right fit for that, as opposed to going after the ranking. Now, coming back to the, the point about, let's say, if everything is all right from the technology perspective, tool is not a problem, okay? Your major challenge always is going to be people, okay? That's what we talk about. And the reason for that is because change is hard, right? When you are trying to map these user behaviors on a system, it's always going to be hard because the new system adoption requires the way you operate, the way you do your jobs, Okay, if you give people a lot of room, they are sort of going to find their workaround that is going to overbloat the system, that is going to overbloat the data. And now we are opening the whole can of worms here, right? So again, it's not really the, the, the specific software or, or the technology. By the way, right now you are only talking about CRM, okay? Again, if you talk about other systems that have slightly more control, ERP, I mean, if you talk to anybody, they all hate ERP system. Everybody does. <laughs> okay, nobody likes ERP system. But end of the day, when you get into the, the, the finances, when you talk about the accounting, and when you talk about business rules, they are always slightly harder. But you have to have control in your company. You have to have those business rules in the company, irrespective of whether people like it or not. <laughs> right. Otherwise, you are actually going to create financial loophole, and that is not good for anybody in the company. So right. again, going back to your question about, you know, is it <laughs> the problem is with CRM, problem is with ERP? In my opinion, it's always people factor. So that's why we have change management consultant. There are official change management consultant. And what they do is they map the change from one system to the next. They take out the tool from the equation. Okay, in the enterprise market. But I, I'm actually going to point one thing out. I don't think everybody is going to be unhappy with their CRM software. I've seen a lot of companies that are happy as well, <laughs> depending upon, uh, you know, what the organization is. Not everybody, you know, complains, but obviously, you know, things can be improved. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen good CRM implementations. Yeah, of course. I mean, there are uh, definitely are. It's just that I think sometimes it's also a question of expectations uh, in the sense that, you know, so I think the their sales teams do a pretty good job of selling the system. So obviously, when you speak with a lot of CEOs, they're like, oh, wow, I mean, it's all right. But, you know, the kind of expectations that we had was, the, oh, this is going to be transformational for our customer relationships and all of those things. And, and yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of it is about people. I mean, a lot of it is about, uh, you know, uh, your employees trying to get accustomed to a new system and do they make it a part of uh, their their lives so i was speaking to one of the largest pharma companies globally and and they spend you know millions and millions of dollars every year only on their crm 
and yeah. funny thing and i was uh, conducting a sort of a, a workshop for uh, their marketing teams and then they said so what do you uh, so one of the questions that i asked was so uh, what are some of the challenges that you face with your crm system and i did not get a response because none of them had ever used their crm system at <laughs> the company and these are marketing leaders from five different countries and exactly. so somebody in the hq decides that they want this system so i think yeah you're right in the sense that you know of course it's not the system itself it's about you know how uh, ready we are to sort of um, you know adopt that and and of course the other thing that you mentioned which is quite interesting as well is don't just go by the rank of how big a crm system or an erp system or any other system is is basically just see how good a fit uh is it for your organization as well so which which brings me to the next question something that we were you know sort of discussing earlier is you know there's this definite uh move towards you know low code or no code in terms of you know so so what's your sense do you think that we are gradually coming to an end of the mega erp systems and the crm systems do you think we are coming to a to an age where organizations will use micro systems in the sense so you know like for instance they may have a completely different solution to do you know to handle part a of the business and a completely different solution to handle part b of the and then they have some nice seamless integration at the back end do they really need those mega systems that your organization depends on uh, or are we uh, or is it a very premature conversation and you think the the mega systems have a long way to go yeah well so everything has a value in the ecosystem okay low code no code is going to have its own value best of breed that you are mentioning it's going to have its own value in specific industries and the enterprises uh, the way companies make decisions they don't go by the marketing hype so what you are hearing is the marketing hype to be honest okay so majority of the time what you hear in the news is not necessarily true okay so when you talk about you know these mega systems going away that's not how companies make decisions in fact right now if you look at the banking and insurance i mean companies still use mainframes they cannot afford to if you talk about airlines you talk about travel i mean they cannot afford to replace saber uh, <laughs> i don't know whether you you know the saber system or your audience knows the saber that's the ticketing system that they have in the airline and there's no way they can afford to replace that because that is one of the most sophisticated system ever built and nobody could re- really design the kind of sophistication that saber system has the same goes right now i mean erp is the new mainframe to be honest okay so if uh all of a sudden somebody decides that you know what i'm actually going to build a new erp and i'm going to replace everything you know that existed in the in the legacy or monolithic erp world that's not how it is going to work right companies don't replace their operational backbone just like that in fact that's a challenge for every single erp company out there you talk about sap you talk about info you talk about oracle you talk about epicor whoever you are talking about right they are not able to replace the financial backbone okay even if the technology is far newer even though they have access to far far newer technology the way companies like to think and like to work okay and like to decide on the enterprise system is going to be this way so first thing they are going to look at okay let's say if i am the manufacturer do i have a technology or a product that i can buy out of the box that's how cfo thinks right that because they are the ones who are actually getting the check <laughs> 
they have to look at the financial risk, right? I mean, see, you can design the fancy system, but they have to look at, okay, if you have never designed, if I cannot see it, how am I going to feel it? How am I going to feel comfortable investing a million dollars, especially if I have a system sitting right there, okay, that is already built. Maybe it's not incomplete. Maybe it does not do uh, the the job as good as you are claiming that you might be able to do, but you are still in a very R&D phase, (laughs) Here, because you you haven't designed this, you haven't tested right. this, right? So there is a clear risk. So the way companies like to make decision is it's always going to be: can I find something that is going to work for my company, my industry, out of the box? That is number one. Okay. Second is going to be low code, no code. That is going to be based on the skills that you have in your organization. If you have tons and tons of programmers, okay, low code and no code will not make sense for you because programmers are going to be faster in programming technologies, right? right. They are going to prefer that. So, so they will not appreciate or like the low code or no code, to be honest, just because that could be because the way programmers work, uh, they are going to be very keyboard centric. They are going to be very code driven. Okay. Uh, the low code and no code, they are designed for slightly more business users. If your programmers are, let's say they are fairly sophisticated in business, then they would they would, uh, you know, they might be able to use low code, no code. But let's say if your business people cannot transfer the knowledge to your programmers, then they have to think about coding, right? So so depending upon the industry, depending upon the context, depending upon the situation, in my opinion, depending upon the skill set of the company, the companies will be deciding whether, you know, they want to go for low code, no code. It's never going to be binary decision that, you know what, I'm going to kick out my SAP today and I'm actually going to build SAP from scratch on my own using the low code technology. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, and, and definitely not going to work that way uh, for the foreseeable future, for, for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it could be hype as well. And 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 uh, there is a definite sort of move towards it because also one of the challenges that let's say a lot of startups are facing are facing uh, the fact that they can't find the right developers, they can't find the right engineers, so they have no choice, right? So they don't have a choice in terms of you know building systems. So in fact, I was speaking with this entrepreneur the other day, uh, and his startup's doing quite well, and you know he was saying that you know one of the things that they did quite early is uh, you know sort of told themselves that okay we are not going to try and build everything right so in the sense and we'll just focus on our core offering and you know we'll have a lot of other existing systems to sort of support us and it's worked quite well for them so for instance something that you had mentioned earlier in the conversation as well is in the fact that they they entered an industry they they focused on just enhancing the user experience so instead of uh, rebuilding something which is you know which will probably take them years and and secondly it's so difficult to find those guys also right I mean if you speak to any sort of tech entrepreneur I'm telling you the first thing that they talk about is not finding people or enough people that way so yeah i mean it's it's not going to be binary so i think for all the listeners you know if you read uh, 50 articles a week uh, i read two this morning about low code and no code so uh, it's not something that's happening today and even if it happens right you have to see what's right for your organization uh, you know it could be 
a combination of the two it could be you know for a newer business unit for for, for some new uh, product that you are developing or something you know a no code or a low code approach can work but you know you can uh, like you mentioned you know it can take like uh, and i've seen that i've seen that inertia i've seen the challenge of trying to replace or even upgrade an existing system right so we work with clients and you know with their legacy systems and and that's a multi year decision it's not yeah. even like uh, something that can be done oh yeah you know today this morning we decided we are going to change our you know erp so so yeah i mean just good to uh, know what's happening in that space as well but again i think the decisions uh, should be made uh, like sam you mentioned uh, based on what your uh, you know requirements are specifically so so th- that's great so i mean let's uh, before i let you go just a couple of things i wanted to check with you i always get our guests to make some predictions you know yeah. and so uh, you know and not just about uh, bitcoin price predictions but uh, you know so in the sense that maybe uh, you could share some of your predictions in the tech space so what are some of the uh, sort of emerging trends that you see and that you feel that over the next 3 to 5 years you know something would really uh, gain a lot of uh, prominence i mean anything that comes to mind yeah so in my case i mean i like to talk about technology but technology has to provide the real business value that's mm. how i like to think okay right. so the technology trend that we have i mean see uh, even though we are talking about okay what is next okay mm. ai is already done cloud is already done right. okay but if you look at the the penetration of cloud at this point time not you know every organization is on cloud i mean see they are still running the the legacy systems they are still very much on on prem and one of the challenges that companies are facing is how to move these workloads to cloud so you know right now i don't know if it is 20% 30% somewhere around that so we still have massive opportunity for next 20 years <laughs> okay in case of cloud now the trends right so the trend is going to be now a lot of companies are claiming that they are cloud but they the real cloud is the user experience that you get when you use a system right so that user experience is not there in those legacy systems even if they are claiming that they are cloud but it's still very old code it's still very legacy code there are newer systems that are very good on cloud but they don't really have the deep functionality that industries care for So one of the things that you are going to see in the next 5 to 7 years number one there is going to be a heavy push for the industry specific functionality the software is going to be slightly more productized it's going to be more packaged okay yes the low code no code is going to be there because you are reducing the financial risk for the companies as opposed to starting something at least you are uh, removing the technical risk but again it depends upon how you define this solution architecture as i mentioned uh, you know in the in the conversation ai is going to be very prevalent you might not see ai as much you might not be interacting with ai as much but that actually drives a lot of user experience so when you look at the modern erp system especially erp system crm system they use a lot of ai in the background for example let's say if i look at my gmail right now i mean gmail is using a lot of ai and if you search from gmail to outlook that's a switch that's a change for a lot of us just because you don't have that that assistance you don't have that spell check you don't have that. so 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 ai is going to be very penetrated uh, in our business processes in the way the software is built uh, again there are 
every technology that you can probably think of in in my opinion that is going to make its way in the way we are using the systems i mean i would not ignore anything out there i mean see i, I would not say that anything is hotter than the other or something is going to be phased out uh, everything has some sort of application now if you are looking for the next big unicorn i don't know that Yeah sure now I was looking for some stock tips <laughs> you know uh, so no but invest in invest in snowflake right now <laughs> they have the largest market <laughs> okay sure thanks thanks for the tip I, i i'll do that right so so uh, you know thanks so much i mean i think uh, you know that was a very sort of pragmatic answer i think i uh, you know the way you've sort of outlined it is you know very real in the sense and i i i can see that sense of realism in everything that you do like you said you know actual execution actual impact that it has on organizations as well so yeah don't get carried away by buzzwords uh, you know like for instance you mentioned uh, cloud so for instance when people say you know what happens is you know we can uh, live in bubbles Yeah. we live in our own sort of bubbles and so for instance uh, especially a lot of people in the tech space for instance i speak to people and they only talk about nfts right now is nfts have taken over the world or something and uh, and i was just having this conversation with somebody the other day saying i'm sure not even 0.01% of the world population knows what nft is right so in the sense is it may be it may be something so like i mean i'm and i'm the reason i'm saying that is you know when you're building products when you're building services and of course it's it's great to uh, be ahead of the curve but don't just do it because you see it's a buzzword do it because if you're solving a problem and like you mentioned cloud you know so people say oh cloud is boring now let's do something else but like you said if you look at the penetration it may be 20% 30% you know ai for instance people say oh now this uh, technology is already done and dusted it, it doesn't quite work that way you know i mean and again i always use the example of the vaccines and the fact that oh now the vaccines are here and yeah i'm sure like billions of people would not get the vaccine in the next 2 to 3 years as well so everything's very relative you know in geographically in terms of you know penetration in terms of you know so so yeah i think the best way to look at it is if you are able to solve a problem and if you are able to see uh you know how and like you very rightly pointed out earlier that you know jump to the systems and jump to the tools later but try to see what the problems are it's been a very very insightful conversation sam gupta thank you so much for being on the podcast we wish you all the best for everything that you're doing and you're doing some absolutely amazing work i hope you uh, get to impact hundreds and thousands of startups in the near future and we look forward to speaking to you soon Electronic Specifier Insights podcast is dedicated to asking the big questions of the electronic industry's biggest players. Electronics and technology are becoming increasingly integral across all aspects of daily life and within society as a whole. Check out the Electronic Specifier Insights podcast at www.electronicspecifier.com.